relationship building is such an important part of this. So, you know, I didn't just sit in my office and write policy and, and push that kind of stuff out. You know, I made sure to walk around and, and know who the people were that were doing the work. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That was Greg Rogers, CISO at Legal in General America. And he's talking with us about the migration of an on-prem monolithic application to a cloud-based containerized app. But it was a lot more migration than that. He went from waterfall to agile and CICD, internally facing to customer facing, and legacy languages to modern languages. He faced a lot of challenges, both technically and cultural, all of this in the face of heavy regulation. So this isn't just about a technical uplift. It's about improving the customer journey. Greg, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch and sharing your story with us today. Hey, Alan, how's it going? Thank you for having me. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right. So why don't you tell us briefly a little bit about how you got into cyber and a little bit about your day job? I was coming out of college in 2001, right after 9-11. And uh, at that point, I was taking a cybersecurity course, and that was the first time it was being offered. So it was kind of really new to me, and it just clicked. I really enjoyed it. And when 9-11 happened, I I saw the importance that security would have, as well as, you know, the the internet boom at the time and how that was growing. Everything going on at that point, it was really hard to find a job. So I figured, hey, this is a perfect time to continue, go on, get my master's degree, the school I was at a master's with a focus in cybersecurity. So I just stayed in and did that. While I was there, CSC, which is a big government contractor, came by, did some recruiting. And something I had never planned to do, I followed through with them and ended up working as a DOD contractor uh, for about 15 years. So that's really where I got into cyber. Multiple positions with that. I did lots of different things from, you know, engineering and development and administration to you know, penetration testing type work and, and then moved into risk management, risk assessments and uh, program management. And that's about the time when I decided, you know, I wanted to take the next step in my career. And, you know, I started to want to move away from the technical side and, and be more of a leader. And this job popped up that was local to me. It was a commercial CISO role. And I went for it. And, you know, it was kind of a surprise. I didn't really think I had the qualifications for it. I mean, I had a handful of certs and, you know, bachelors and masters, but, you know, I didn't have commercial experience. I didn't have a whole lot of leadership experience, but I was able to leverage the risk management expertise that I had developed and transition that into the scissor role. And I ended up getting the job and it, it really worked out well for me. You know, and the interesting thing was it was my first commercial gig. It was my first CISO role, and I'm also the first CISO for the company. A lot of firsts there. Yeah. Yeah, I've been first CISO for the company before. That's always a challenging one. You're, you're not only having to do the job, but you're having to figure out how to let the business understand what the job is. Like, you're walking in the door saying, here's how to measure me. <laughs> you know, like, they don't even know that part yet. You've got to educate them on how they should even judge you. Now, let's talk a little bit about this effort. I thought your story was very interesting. You and I chatted a while ago, and we've all been in this situation where we've dealt with migrating legacy stuff to newer stuff. We've dealt with migrating on-prem to cloud. We've dealt with, you know, monolithic becoming, you know, 
containerized. We've all dealt with a lot of these challenges. It sounds like you've dealt with almost every one of them rolled up in one big bundle, kind of all at the same time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? You know, what's been this big challenge that you've been facing? Yeah. So besides, you know, being the first and having to come in and kind of build out the information security program, uh, one of the big things that was going on was the transition from on-prem monolithic applications to, you know, more modern code bases in a containerized environment, totally changing the infrastructure that the applications ride on, as well as the methodologies. So, you know, the organization was pretty old school, not in a bad way, but that's just what they'd been doing for a long time. It was basically waterfall waterfall model with basic C-type development. So what they decided to do was, you know, roll off the traditional in-house applications that only internal people could access and provide access across the internet to our customers. And what that meant was putting it out in the cloud, making it accessible, both from internal perspective and the external perspective. So there were a lot of security challenges there, but it totally changed the methodology in which development was done. You know, manual development, manual moving from dev environment to QA environment, to production environment, all of that process was manual. Testing was manual, uh, security scanning was manual, and the transition was to try to automate, you know, and, and build a CI CD pipeline where all of that deployment was a lot more automated and build into that faster development. So now we're doing agile with, you know, short time sprints to, to roll out feature sets, you know, in a quicker manner and also get the security testing into that in as much of an automated way as we can. So I only scratched the surface there originally. So this is, <laughs> this is monolithic to containerized. This is yeah. legacy to modern. This is on-prem to cloud. This is waterfall to agile. This is C to modern code stack. This is, you know, development languages and environments. And this is the evolution of a CI/CD pipeline on top of all of that. That is a heck of a large undertaking for one go. Um, so walk me through what have been some of the biggest challenges. And I mean, you know, let's, let's start with sort of the more mechanical challenges and then we'll talk about the cultural challenges next. What's, What's been the biggest stuff that you've had to face from a security perspective? What have been the biggest mechanical challenges? Getting everyone to, you know, get on board with implementing security controls in a different way. You know, before you had infrastructure and security team that they implemented and controlled all security. So now with, you know, having a dev team that's doing a lot of this stuff on a web-based platform, you know, authentication mechanisms, encryption, APIs. This is all stuff that needs to be built, you know, into the environment and isn't just a bolt-on appliance controlled by someone else. So that was a big challenge. Uh, You know, they've done an excellent job in it. You know, people really stepped up. They took it seriously. We had a lot of updating and modernizing for the environment that needed to happen to support this. You know, we're still using the old legacy system inside uh, kind of like the back end. So, you know, there was integration between those two environments that had to happen, but it required a lot of updating on the servers and, and the endpoints, you know, to, to be able to support all of that as well. Interesting. So how about some of the biggest cultural challenges? Like you just described a lot and I can't imagine like things like, oh yeah, we got to upgrade our servers and we got to do that. I can't imagine any of this was culturally easy either. How, how did you get everybody on board? How did you sell them on this big, bold new vision 
And then how did you actually get them to do the things like let's upgrade the servers back there that haven't been upgraded in forever? And, you know, how did you pull this off culturally? Engagement. Relationship building is such an important part of this. I didn't just sit in my office and write policy and, and push that kind of stuff out. I made sure to walk around and know who the people were that were doing the work. Part of what we were also doing at that time was as we built the security program, we're also building a new uh, security awareness training program, brought in a new software platform to support that. So, you know, now everybody was getting the training. We rolled out company all training, but we also targeted. So developers got targeted like OWASP training, things like that, just awareness, relationship building, not being just a, a person that says, you have to do this. These are the controls, go do it. You know, really working with them, supporting them in their endeavors. And also, you know, finding ways that they could continue to do their job while implementing the security that we needed. You know, everything wasn't just black and white do encryption, do this, do that. You know, I really try to work with them to make it fit with what they were doing as well. There was a bit of a backer for you and probably also an obstacle for you at the same time, which is you guys are a pretty regulated environment, I would imagine. So we're talking like NYDFS and all, all the other regs that you guys might be up against. How much did that end up being a challenge in its own right, adding to this burden? And how much was that a driver that helped you sort of push those cultural victories across the finish line? Yeah, so definitely highly regulated. NYDFS being the number one regulator that we have to deal with and the one with, you know, the most, I guess, prescriptive or, or detailed regulation that we have to deal with. That really gave me some teeth. You know, that was the thing that the company was, we, we've been dealing with New York for a long time. So they knew how New York handled regulations in other areas of the financial service world. So now that cybersecurity, while it was a new regulation, the regulator wasn't new to us. So the company is very serious about being compliant and making sure, you know, that we do the things that keep New York happy. So that really gave me the backing I needed to go out and say, listen, MFA is really important. We need to do that. We need to set up these new processes for training and incident management response type things while it was a burden and having to roll these things out quickly, because I came on board right as the first requirements of NYDFS were going active. So that was, you know, a, a challenge to make sure we met them right away. But besides the time issue, it did give me that backing. It provided me kind of the teeth or the hammer, so to say, to, to get people to do things. How did the regulation turn out to be more of an obstacle than a boon, obviously. And and I totally appreciate that. You're in an org that wants, you know, to, to meet the regulation. They get it. They respect regulation. So dogpiling that on, hey, it's more regulation. we got to do it. That's great. But then from the technical perspective and the challenges, as you were architecting this new solution, as you were coming up with all these changes from development methodology to development languages and environments to agile and all this stuff, surely the regulations just sort of added yet another layer of complexity to all that too. Was there, were there some challenges that you faced kind of mechanically getting all that across the line? Oh, sure. It definitely added a, a large amount of work, you know, new controls that we hadn't implemented before that needed to get done. You know, I, I think two that I would call out specifically the, the encryption and the MFA requirements, making sure that all of our data at rest and in transit is fully encrypted basically at all times. It's a huge challenge. 
the company had already set a decent base for us to build that out. So that was good, but still a lot of work. And then MFA, you know, having these web applications and remote, you know, access for remote employees and, and people who are working from home and things like that, having to turn on MFA for all that stuff, that was a huge challenge. We already had, you know, some MFA for certain remote access, but adding it to, you know, our core applications, our web-based applications, that was a, a huge project that we were able to kick off and accomplish in about six months. I love it. You know, again, it took that, hey, New York says we have to do this so we don't get fined. But that was just kind of getting over the hurdle for people to say, okay, we see that we have to do it. And then they ran with it and, and they did an amazing job doing it. Let's pause right there and hear a quick word from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, endpoint security, cloud protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting Uptix.com. That's Uptix.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. Doing something like this isn't just done. You know, it's the old how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Obviously, you had to do this a little bit piecemeal. You couldn't just say we're moving the whole thing, we're forklifting the whole thing. So give me some examples of where you were able to sort of cleverly migrate just a piece, move just a piece, upgrade a piece, convert a piece, you know, while, while letting business continue to hum. Uh, VDI was one area that we were able to do that. And, you know, this is, I, I give a lot of credit to IT. I mean, they're the ones who are doing all this heavy lifting. We had some VDI, but with the changes, we implemented a lot more. You know, we increased the, the storage and processing power to make it work a lot better. And then with implementing the VDI, we were able to roll out certain portions of the user base to the cloud. So rather than just doing a huge lift and shift to the cloud with our main application and lots of data and everything, we, we moved portions out. So, you know, some of the development uh, QA test environments were moved out there. One piece of the application, I should say, was moved out there. And once that was working, move another piece. So that's how we did it piecemeal. And it seems to have worked really well. The stuff that's gone out there has been working very well for us. Performance is good. They built a very strict segregated system. So the development to QA, to pre-prod, to prod, those environments are all very strictly segregated from each other. And only a small subset of people have any kind of access to move data or applications from one to the next. Uh, so, you know, we really wanted to make sure that we limited any kind of, you know, malicious activity uh, to one area if something were to happen. Right. Now, that brings up the question of identity and access management. It sounds like you guys had different identity and access management environments as well, that you weren't just doing one blanket shotgun approach. Yeah, I mean, we had, you know, the traditional Active Directory on site. But as we're moving to the cloud environment, you know, we need to expand that, you know, Active Directory in, in the cloud and Azure but also bringing in things like the MCAS and, and CASB, um, you know, bringing in tools such as Zscaler. Sorry, I say Zscaler because right. I work for a, a British company, so half the people call it that. Zed. Yeah, 
So things like Zscaler and, you know, uh, we have an identity manager that we're rolling out. So we're trying to integrate uh, a lot more of that IAM into one area that can see on-prem, our applications, our cloud environment, as well as you know, third-party uh, cloud services and get those integrated as well. And we normally avoid talking about brands on this show, but I honestly, like, I'm totally cool having this conversation at this level of detail because I think it's necessary to, to get the value and the benefit for people to understand. So when I hear Zscaler, I also think of the fact that, you know, there's there's kind of services out there in the world, that, that some of what you're buying these days isn't just a tool, it's a service as well, right? It's a very SaaS offering, for example, in its own right. Is there anything even more extremely service-oriented? In other words, outside entities that you relied on, uh, products or services that were themselves in the cloud beyond Zscaler? Like, how did you gain help from outside entities in this process as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, we couldn't have done this on our own. You know, one of the things that's been happening is just our whole IT and security and development teams have been growing extremely fast over the past couple of years. So we're bringing in the expertise we need, but you know, you always need that outside help. We use Microsoft expertise with the Azure environment. Uh, they, they really provided a lot of help there. We also, since we're you know, a wholly owned entity of another company in the UK, they had done some of this stuff. So we were able to leverage some of the people they had you know, on staff we also had a, a you know a third party consultant company you know help us identify products um, and, and do some of the evaluations for us you know we didn't do all the evaluations in house we just didn't have the time to evaluate products and roll stuff out and, and do the architecture so we relied on a third party to help us with that as well and and it's a relationship we've had for a number of years uh, so we really trust you know have, have built that relationship to trust them cool and and they do a good job in guiding us. Any outside products? Like you've named a bunch of outside entities. How about products or, you know, not services in the sense of, hey, I'm hiring you to come in and do a service, but like, you know, I'm, I'm picturing SaaS environments or applications or other th things that you reached out of your shop to tap in this process. Maybe the biggest one would be the MSSP that we use. Yep. So, you know, we don't have a huge in-house SOC. We do have people that, that do that inside, but, you know, we rely a lot on an external MSSP and, and we've actually you know, gone through a number of them looking for the right fit. Um, so, you know, we've, I think, settled on one now that we've had for a little while that we're really happy with. And also general security assistance too. threat intelligence, you know, they help us decide how to respond to things or, you know, how to change our environment to, to protect against emerging threats. And, and I'm guessing too, with an MSSP that every time you guys are invoking these great big changes and migrating this piece to the cloud and that piece from internal to external, you're, you're having to coordinate with them and let them know like, all right, you got a new attack surface and you got to start monitoring this and looking at this now. And I'm assuming a lot of sort of real time interactions with them as this migration occurred as well, right? Yeah. And, and the specific one we chose, we went with them because they supported the cloud environment uh, as well as the on-premise. They were able to provide a lot of assistance in that migration as well. Beautiful. Um, and, and they integrated with what we already had on-prem but then expanded it out to our cloud environments. That helped a lot. Always keen to hear about a good MSSP. It's a challenging landscape. And, and to your point, you'll, uh, what's the expression? Kiss a lot of frogs before you find your prince? Yep, definitely seen that. Definitely going to kiss some frogs in the MSSP space. That should be a topic for its own show, really. I should, I should get some CISOs who've been through multiple MSSPs and then get a couple of anonymous MSSP employees and get a whole panel going. That would be a fun show. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. 
So in-house development versus buying existing products or services. Obviously, this began as a very much in-house developed event. And as you migrated and became containerized and became cloud-oriented and became agile and became CICD, not everything was developed in-house. You probably started to pick some more off-the-shelf aspects and components and things as well. So how much in-house development ended up remaining in terms of overall percentage of the new architecture? And then what outside stuff did you choose to bring in once you decided to bring outside stuff in? Most of the uh, core application is developed in-house. Previous to this project, we had used external developers, not not off-the-shelf products, but as developers building for us. And, and that didn't work very well. The success rate of those tools or, or those applications was not great. So we, we pulled it in-house, a lot of it because of that, but also what we're doing. You know, We have all our own proprietary uh, you know, calculation engines, you know, a, a lot of the back end stuff is proprietary that you really can't buy off the shelf uh, or without a lot of, you know, tuning in house because underwriting is, it's all very proprietary to each company, uh, you know, rates and those kind of things. The tables that feed it and the tools that process the tables and how they process the tables is all unique to each carrier, I would imagine. Right. So a lot of it was done in-house. We do use a lot of containers. So we, we pull components. You know, we're not reinventing tools to integrate, you know, SMTP with our, you know, so we can do email, you know, and, and APIs and stuff like that. We're not reinventing that stuff anymore. You know, those are the things that we take off the shelf, you know, as containers. But overall, you know, all that integration is done in-house. Okay. It's surprisingly more in-house development than I would have thought, but it makes a lot of sense given what you guys do that you're, you're going to have to keep it that way. But you're finding off-the-shelf uh, APIs and containers and things you can call and invoke. And yeah, I get it. I get it. So it's largely still in-house. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of in-house development. Um, it, it really is a huge team that we've built to do that. It's it's not a, just a you know couple guys doing it. It's it's a, a very significant portion of the IT environment. Now, you and I had talked before as well about this idea that IT is doing the heavy lifting. Uh, you're providing the guidance. You've got uh, engineer and architect type folks that are actually running around doing both the IT and the security engineering and architecture. And you're here as the CISO sort of providing the overarching guidance, translating regulation, like what else were you providing? And then once we answer that question, I'm going to want to dive into how did that relationship work with you providing that guidance. So give me a little more example of some of the guidance you're providing. It's not just here's a regulation, but what else are you helping them with? Beyond the regulation and policy and standard type stuff, it's sitting down with development team and going over the implementation of you know authentication mechanisms. We don't always want to force the user to create an account. You know, something we can do to to make that customer journey easier. Uh, we look for ways to do that. So working with them, you know, saying no, that's really bad. It's not going to fly with security or the regulators. Or you know, finding that middle ground. Okay, let's do these simple things until someone can access sensitive information. This is the point where you really need to ramp up stronger controls. Yeah, working with the, the security team, since I've done a lot of different things, it, it's given me that background to come in and, and sit with a lot of different areas in the technical side to just look at the controls, look at the, the ways they're developing things. And I think one of the most important roles I fill is 
you know, I mean, a lot of us came from a very technical background in security where things are very black and white. It's either secure or insecure. As you progress, I feel, into that CISO space, now you're much more focused on the business. You're focused on making the business and the customer journeys run smooth. So now you're looking at that gray area and, and being able to work with, you know, the technical folks who want to make everything super secure and the business folks who want everything super easy and finding that middle ground. You know, it's, it's the gray area of security where it's secure enough and easy enough that it works right. and it keeps you protected. That's, that's where, like, I do a lot of my work. I got you. So this is this is high level guidance, strategy, policy, regulation, translation, et cetera, coupled with um, some high level architectural guidance. And even I'm hearing in specific cases, sometimes detailed architectural guidance that you're actually dipping your toe a little bit into the detail a little more as well. A little. Not, not you know, I like to let the smart guys do their work. Right, right. I don't like to step on anyone's toes there because they know better than I do. But there are times, like I said, where they want to implement something, but it's it's either too insecure or too secure. And, and I'm kind of that person in the middle that says, okay, this is the way we should really do it. It makes everybody happy. So how do those relationships work? You were their first CISO. So what I'm getting at is like, is there a whole bunch of who's this guy and why is he telling me what to do kind of mindset? I'm assuming the relationship is better than that. And and so the adjunct question yeah. is, how did you get it to be better than that? Because when you first walked in the door, I'm sure they were like, who the heck is this guy? There were people that were like that. Uh, there were people who were fully supportive of it. You know, that's where the culture comes in. And then, like I said before, relationship building and, you know, just getting to know people and show them. One thing I tried to do is show I'm not there looking for gotchas. I'm not looking to be like, hey, you did something wrong. You're in violation. I'm really there to help them do their jobs to protect the company and our customers. I see my role as a support uh, to help them. That's the the way I try to sell it. Because a lot of people see you come in and they're like, you're writing policy, you're auditing us, you're asking lots of questions. You're looking at me and what I'm doing for a job. And I try to make them comfortable that that's not what I'm doing. Right. So it took some work. And like you said, being the first one, it was definitely challenging. You know, and as time goes and as people get to know you, it can make it easier. So you build the good relationships, you provide the guidance, you're providing some uh, high-level architectural oversight, you're being that referee, you're even being an advocate as a CISO, not just of security, but of usability, even sometimes in the face mm -hmm. of security, right? Fantastic Absolutely. stuff. You got to this position, you got here through DOD, in all of these years and all this stuff you've been doing, I guess the number one question I've got for you, I ask every guest at the end of the show, what keeps you going in InfoSec? Why do you get out of bed in the morning willing to do this again? If you would ask me that, 10 years ago or five years ago, you know, the standard, the challenge, the technical playing uh, would have been my answer. But as I've transitioned to my career, now it's more the, the leadership. I'd like mentoring and helping people and the organization better themselves, better the organization. So building that whole program, I like building things. So helping lead people and build out, you know, a security program and witnessing that transition because we've gone through an amazing transition. And, you know, I can't give the, the security and infrastructure folks and, and the company as a whole enough credit for what they've accomplished. But seeing that transition, that's really what, what makes me get up every morning and go, OK, I'm going to jump on this call or I'm going to dive into this project and, and get it going. And seeing the way people respond to that kind of progress is really rewarding. You got to count the wins, man. So, Greg Rogers, CISO at Legal and General America. 
Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>